circle, yes, we rotate 360 degrees, high, high, 360 degrees, high, high, 306, 306, 360 degrees, high, high, Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program, broadcasting from right here at KPFA in Huchin, occupied Ohlone territory, also known to settlers as Berkeley, California. And tonight we'll be getting word to you about two upcoming events in the Bay Area this weekend. On tonight's show, we'll get an update from organizers in Contra Costa County as they plan to rally tomorrow in Antioch in support of a DA and FBI investigation into the Antioch and Pittsburgh Police Departments. We'll also get the 411 on the May Day March set for Sunday, May 1st in San Francisco to honor International Workers Day. That's tonight on Full Circle. I am your host, Freewell and Franklin, Coming to you from downtown Antioch, this is Bay Miwok territory. Keep it locked right here to KPFA. All right, again, welcome to Full Circle, the weekly show produced by apprentices and graduates of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. My name is Freewell and Franklin, and I am your host tonight. And to kick off the show tonight, again, I wanted to bring you an update on a planned action that is taking place tomorrow, 4 p.m., Saturday, April 30th, out here in Antioch. Um, that's tomorrow afternoon. Reimagine Antioch, Conscious Contra Costa, and Together We Stand are organizing a speak-out at the Antioch Police Department. And this comes on the heels of the announcement that the Antioch Police Department and the Pittsburgh Police Department are under investigation from the Contra Costa County District Attorney's Office and the FBI for crimes of moral turpitude. And as I said last week, activists say there is no surprise that this investigation is happening, that we out here have been protesting and having demonstrations since at least 2010, calling out the brutality and the violence perpetrated out here upon some of the citizens of Antioch. So to help us understand some of the complexities of what's happening out here in Antioch and Contra Costa County, we have uh, myself joining us tonight, along with uh, my two guests. Um, first, from Conscious Contra Costa, we have Veronica Benjamin. She is an organizer from Danville who was instrumental in bringing awareness and justice to the cases of Latimer Arbolita and, of course, justice to come uh, for Tyrell Wilson and his family, two young men who were actually killed by the same police officer, now former police officer and convicted felon, Andrew Hall. Um, welcome, Veronica. No, thank you so much for having me and for all you do. Thanks for joining us tonight. Also joining us is Sevgi Fernandez. Sevgi is of Together We Stand. She's a community activist and organizer. And like Veronica, she is also helping out to try and rally folks to come out to Antioch tomorrow at 4 p.m. to join us in this speak out. Um, welcome, Sevgi. 
Thanks for having me, Franklin. Thanks for joining us. And thanks for uh, to both of you for all your help into uh, getting folks out here when we can. Um, Sevgi, you really helped us out a couple years ago, like just getting folks out here to Antioch because we're kind of in a bubble out here and um, we're getting there, but we can use all the help we can get. I'm going to kick off the conversation, though, with you, Veronica, because we need to celebrate our victories when we can. And we're going to tie our battles together. We are Contra Costa County. We are linked by that. Um, We're very close in proximity. And a lot of the officers within Contra Costa County and the departments around here, including Alameda and San Francisco, um, jump around to different departments um, when threatened with disciplinary actions within their own department. So, Veronica, tell us about um, our recent victory here with uh, Latimer Arbolita and Andrew Hall. And now that we got a second officer in California um, doing time behind the killing of a, a, a person. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Uh, recently on March 4th, we stood with the family of Latimer Arboleda and the family of Tyrell Wilson also came out in solidarity with many others, uh, many from also uh, NAMI Contra Costa has been a huge support because both of these young men suffered from or, or lived with mental illness. Um, and we got to hear a judge do something I think fairly unique because of course, uh, former Deputy Hall was recommended for parole and she just kind of verbally tore up that report and said, no, he's going to serve some hard time. And, um, you know, it's kind of difficult, you know, where we are ideologically, you know, on the spectrum of the abolition movement, it's kind of hard to root for anyone to go to jail. But I really think until uh, the laws are applied somewhat more equally, um, I'm not going to, you know, hope that an officer is the first person who's, you know, spared by the carceral system. So, yeah, so we were we were relieved that he was sentenced to serve, I believe, 85% of a six-year sentence. The maximum he was facing was 17 years. And it, it was a day of uh, relief for the, the Arboleda family. Um, but of course, it's also a painful day because then we knew full well that, yeah, obviously we know, but then really it was very public knowledge that he should not have been on the streets um, and with a gun uh, being paid by us as taxpayers to, to murder another, another man, you know, a, a black man here in Danville. So it was, you know, and any victory in this field is always going to be kind of bittersweet. Yeah. Talk about, you know, what it felt like on that day when you had like a small taste of, of justice. And then also what you think the role of the community and community participation, um, the role that that plays and, why we need folks to come out to places like Antioch in these times, why we need folks to show up when we're trying to get um, justice for Latimer, justice for Tyrell. So first tell us like how it felt for you that day, because I know you work so hard with the families and in your community, and it must have been some sort of relief for you. You know, and, you know, I say this all with, you know, of course, the grain of salt that nothing ever is going to bring back uh, these families, loved ones. But what we need is some sort of justice. And maybe that would be a, a little deterrent from officers um, not following their training or misbehaving in the future. So, yeah. How did that feel to get that moment? And then talk about the importance of the community participation. Yeah, no, and I think those are very, very linked. So thank you for phrasing the question that way. Um, regarding that day, you know, the, the courthouse was packed. And throughout most of the trial, I made it to, I would say, about 20% of the trial. I was there in person. Um, other days, I at least tried to listen to the live stream while I was at work. Used to be a secretary. And, um, yeah, it was, we, we were there in force. I would say there was 
45 to 50 supporters and of course only 12 people could go into the courtroom so that was exclusively family in the courtroom but many of us about half of us were in the hallways um, of the courthouse and then others were outside and we were all listening to the live stream together um, before the proceeding began we did pray together um, I'm, not, I'm not a Christian but many of the people in the movement and both families are Christian but it was just good to have a, a kind of a spiritual moment together and, and feel uh, feel united feel that fortitude um, especially because we, we have to look at you know, former Officer Hall, we had to see his family and his supporters and, and definitely many police officers there, as well as, you know, other officers on duty, you know, kind of uh, shuffling, um, you know, incarcerated individuals in between uh, in between the other courtrooms. So it was uh, definitely how to say you felt empowered. You felt empowered in community and we had each other. And so we were all just listening intently to this live stream. And since we had only learned a day or two before that he was actually recommended for parole. So it really was, we were on the edge of our seats. And I happened to be seated in the hallway across from someone who I believe is a, he was a, in plain clothes, but I believe is a police officer. And just to see the shock on his face, <laughs> when it was like, yes, you can be held accountable. It is possible. It is now possible here. So it, it was really powerful. And then um, then to see, you know, to, to see and hear the family come out and see the smile. Uh, Laudemar has a wonderful mother, Jeannie Atienza, to see that the smile and relief on her face um, and, you know, and his brothers and sisters, uh, it, it was it was jubilant. Um, and we were there with community because that's the other thing. And, and really, I would like to say to any listeners how, how important it is to be involved and to be connected because Laudemar did not have a lot of advocacy. Even I was basically a failed advocate for Laudemar um, during the George Floyd uprisings when, you know, I'm, I'm a very recent activist and it's so I just have that direct experience of kind of coming out of the haze of individualism and self-absorption. Um, so my first attempt was definitely a failure, uh, but, but, you know, I was trying to get connected, trying to advocate for Laudemar. I did a PRA request. I tried to kind of get my name on lists that didn't really work. But, um, Tyrell, since I saw him every day and I knew him when he got shot in the face by the same officer, I just kind of put it like that 500% of effort into connect to make community. So anyway, at, at, when I came into contact with Laudemar's family and, you know, I had tried, I sent sort of a cold call Facebook message to who I believed was his mother, you know, uh, before uh, back in 2020 and then just the connection was never made so it took me a while to actually get that connection with them um, and to find out it was heartbreaking to see how, how little support they had and they live in an area where there's many they live in several areas around the bay and, and so some of them have many police officers who are uh, uh, their neighbors and so they were quite intimidated and not willing to speak out not seeing themselves fully as victims of a very brutal and unfair system um, because they, they, they were, how to say, the, the dominant narrative for a full year after their brother was murdered was that he was trying to run down a police officer. So people would just kind of brush them off like, oh, well, you know, he was trying to kill an officer and that's, that's what's going to happen, you know, when you don't listen. And, and even they had maybe to a certain degree internalized that or, or felt dominated by that narrative. So as an advocate and as someone who kind of saw them at that initial stage to the day of the sentencing when um, Laudemar's sister, Jennifer Leon, was giving testimony on the stand, um, she was giving her victim's impact statement and she was so powerful. I mean, it was probably the proudest moment of my life just to hear her come into her own as an advocate for her brother um, and to see that that community, hearing and seeing other people from the community speak up and say, hey, no, this is wrong. This shouldn't have happened to your brother. Um, I just want to tell everyone that that's how important community voices can be in some of these instances, uh, because if the family isn't supported, then they're just they're just left there. And then, you know, the, the tragedy and the, the trauma is compounded. So. Um, so, yeah, the, the community can make anything possible. And of course, I, I don't like to take too much credit for, for the outcome. I mean, it was it was the judge. It was the whole system. But I do think that the process was made 
more um, more bearable for the family because of the community support. And, and perhaps the system felt like they, they felt a little bit more on edge because they knew we were watching um, in an area that traditionally does not care about these things at all. Definitely. And let me just transition over to why we're going to connect this to Antioch, because after that day when we finally saw a little semblance of justice for all the lives taken, the Sheriff Livingston jumped on and penned a letter Um, I call it the sad day letter. I think most people know it as the sad day letter, but he wrote um, that that was a sad day for law enforcement, that one of their own had finally been held accountable and had had some serious consequences for not following their training, for not um, doing what was right. And the former Antioch police chief, uh, Alan Contando, who was just the most recent former chief before we got officer uh, chief Brooks, jumped right on his back and said, yes, it was a sad day. And he stood behind um, Sheriff Livingston. So um, thank you for all that, Veronica. Let me turn now real quickly to um, Sevgi Fernandez of Together We Stand, because you are helping us organize out here along with Veronica to get some folks out here. How did you feel, Sevgi, first of all, when you heard the news about the the little semblance of justice that we got for Vladimir uh, Oberlita and then the sad day letter that came from Sheriff Livingston. Well, thanks again for having me, Franklin. And, uh, you know, my organization Together We Stand works with families across the country that have been affected by police brutality and police violence. And Um, It is such a rare occurrence that we actually see some semblance of accountability. And so to see that happen and to see that happen in Contra Costa County, which has been historically very conservative and white, um, was really an incredible feeling, I think, for everybody in this area who's been involved in this work for any period of time. um, it, It truly it gives you a sense of like breath again, because sometimes you feel you're fighting this system that is just so impossible to penetrate. Uh, So it's, it's really an incredible day when we actually can see some semblance of, of accountability and, you know, to, to give that message to other officers that you cannot act with uh, impunity and, and do whatever it is that you are going to do without somebody watching over you so it really it gives us hope um and so i'm 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 grateful for that day i'm grateful for his family i'm grateful for veronica and all the incredible work that she's done um yeah and 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 to see that letter come out from the sheriff is certainly not surprising he's just got such a horrible history of deplorable behavior, be it um, how he handled the ICE situation and uh, the racist practices of his department. I mean, we have to look at this. There were two men of color who needed help in Danville. They were in mental health crisis. They needed help. Our police officers are charged to protect and serve their community. Those men were part of that community. And Officer Hall shot and killed them, murdered them both when they needed his help. And for the sheriff to come out and say this is a sad day when someone is held accountable for murder, 
when they're charged in such a high position. I mean, we are asking these officers to make life and death decisions at the blink of an eye every day. And so we should hold them to the highest accountability, right? Not, not, not anywhere in the middle. They should be held at the highest level of accountability for their choices and their actions. And for the leader of Contra Costa County Sheriff's Department to come out and to say what he said, it, it really, it speaks volumes to, you know, what we're up against. Um, this is why we are continually trying to do this work in Contra Costa County, because we see the injustices within law enforcement across the board and, and it needs to be addressed. And uh, while I got you on, Sevgi, as I said, the former police chief, Alan, Con- the Antioch police chief, uh, former Alan Contando jumped right on. I mean, I was watching the post come up on the Channel 2 uh, Facebook, and almost immediately um, he posted on there that it was indeed a sad day and that the sheriff was right. And he is the one, Alan Contando, who passed down the chief position to our next chief, Tammany Brooks, who conveniently recently relocated um, out of Antioch it seems like in a convenient time right before the FBI and DA's investigation took place out here. So full disclosure, Franklin here, I am a resident of Antioch. I have been helping Sebgi and Veronica organize out here because as I mentioned in the intro, we have been battling in Antioch, the, the activists on the streets for over a decade to bring attention to what's been going on out here. And now to finally see that the the DA and the FBI are investigating our department. It was kind of like the moment that you described, Veronica, that you had that little moment of relief or that slight moment of victory that, hey, we knew, and now somebody else is backing this up. And another thing I want to mention real quick out here is that like a lot of places around the country, San Francisco, um, with the case of Chelsea Boudin, we are facing a recall effort against our city council out here. The mayor, Lamar Thorpe, and District 1 Councilwoman Representative, many of you are familiar with, Tamisha Torres Walker, and even one of our school board members. So the, uh, our city council has recently made some reforms to the police department. Uh, We are low on officers out here, and a lot of the older Antioch is what they call it out here. Old Antioch is, of course, blaming the mayor. Everything falls on the mayor. Um, For the mass exodus, I'm doing air quotes, mass exodus of officers uh, because of a, another air quote, hostile work environment uh, created by the mayor and Tamisha. So real quickly, let me get you to talk about why we need to connect the dots, Sevgi, why we need to be out in Richmond, why we need to be out in Vallejo with the badge benders, why we need to be in Danville, why we need to be in Martinez, why do we need to be in Antioch uh, Saturday at 4 p.m. at the police department? Well, I think it's important. I mean, Veronica touched on this, um, having community. And if we look at the response when George Floyd was murdered. I mean, we saw people, millions and millions of people across the country, across the world, out on the streets, really, really trying to affect change. And for those of us who have been in this for a long time, we knew that that was not going to last. And unfortunately, it hasn't. And we're, you know, we've seen numbers dwindle over the last couple of years again. And 
you know, people are able to go back into their bubbles there, you know, Veronica again talked about, you know, being, you know, an individualistic society and it's, it's really important that people recognize that George Floyd wasn't an anomaly, you know, it's happened many, many times before it's happened many, many times since. And just because it's not being broadcast all over television does not mean that it's not happening. People have loved ones that are dying and we need to show up. And I think that, you know, we look at all of the communities around the Bay Area. We have had police brutality touch each and every one of them. And it's just so, so important that we put humanity back in what's going on. It's, it's very easy for us to sit at home and not really get involved and just look online every once in a while. It's hard to say, you know, I'm going to take time out of my day and I'm going to show up and I'm going to stand up. But that's exactly what we need people to do. We have supervisors like out in Danville. Forgive me, Veronica, I'm going to forget her name. Candace Anderson. Candace Anderson. So we were sitting on a, a call looking at uh, a racial or, or oversight committee for the sheriff. And, you know, we have people who are representing these affluent white neighborhoods who are clearly pro Livingston and uh, clearly trying to stand in the way of any accountability and any oversight. And it's important that every person that can get out there, get out there and say, you know, this is not okay in my community. And just because it's happening in Antioch right now, doesn't mean it won't happen in El Cerrito tomorrow. Doesn't mean it won't happen in San Ramon next week. Everybody needs to recognize that this system is not working for everybody and people of color are in danger. And we need to step up and really do something significant and long-term to address these issues. We've had these small, amazing uh, outcomes such as Andrew Hall getting sentenced, but we really need to keep up the pressure. And that's an excellent example of what pressure can do. Definitely, thank you. Uh, that's the voice of Sevgi Fernandez of Together We Stand. And she's speaking about the end police corruption in Contra Costa rally happening on the steps of the Antioch Police Department. That's 300 L Street in Antioch, California. And that's at 4 p.m. tomorrow. And uh, Veronica, let me get you to come back in real quick and tell us, yes, why is it important that you know, you got that community support in Danville. You know, I was out there. I got to march at um, one of the Tyrell Wilson events, and it felt good to be with that large group of people and to march over that freeway and down the street and be with those folks. Uh, why is it important that when we can, we get to San Francisco, we get to Danville, we get to Richmond, we get to Vallejo. And I really want to get back on Vallejo because those badge benders really got me. Um, so we're hoping to get uh, Melissa Nold uh, on the air here soon. Um, but again, remind us the importance of community and um, why you're coming out uh, to Antioch, Veronica. Yeah, and let me, I, I really feel like I, I did a disservice earlier in not thanking Sevgi 
Sevgi Fernandez and Together We Stand, but because because of her and her experience and in her heritage and her deep roots in activism, and as she said, her organization works all over the country. When Tyrell was first shot, she had the skill set and the network to bring people out, and she was the primary organizer of that march. It was, I think, on March 28th of 2021, and I, as someone on the ground who was a little tapped in and interested, I helped kind of plan it, and I was just in a supportive role, but she really was like the, the spark and the catalyst. Um, and because of that event, I could meet other people here locally in Danville and from that group eventually form Conscious Contra Costa so that we could keep up the pressure locally as said, you know, continued to, to be that catalyst and really support people all across the nation. So um, just kind of from that perspective, just seeing that we all kind of have different roles to play and that it's, um, you know, you have kind of that that long-term vision, people with long-term goals and broader goals. And then I know my community organization is really, you know, much more local, you know, kind of hyper-local focused. Um, that being said, you know, as, as I've at least cut some of my activism uh, kind of chops over the past year, um, I see that capacity within myself to kind of better cross support in other communities. Um, so yeah, that's why I thought, hey, if uh, the FBI and the DA are finally looking into these two police departments, you know, in this county, um, that that does affect people here in Danville. Because yeah, as you said, uh, as both of you pointed out, these officers have a tendency to bounce around. So this uh, this end to police corruption has to be, you know, in every single department, you know, in this county and even in neighboring counties. So yeah, we we all have limited bandwidth. You know, there's only so many hours in the day. People have families, people have jobs, people have you know illnesses. They have so many things they have to contend with. But um, yeah, stepping out of that, that shell, seeing where, where can my concerted effort and my support uh, really have an impact. So me as a Danville resident, I feel like, yes, it's worth, it's worth, my, um, it's worth this effort. It's worth my neighbor's effort to come up there, to, to be there on Saturday in Antioch and uh, encourage. Like, hey, we, we encourage this kind of investigation into uh, the rampant corruption, uh, which is costing lives and livelihoods you know, in, in these uh, so-called law enforcement organizations. Um, and I, I also say another effort, you know, it, it, an, an allied effort is also our attempt to get the sheriff to at least resign following those remarks. I mean, that's the other kind of action. We have a petition going on just to show, uh, again, this broad community sentiment because it's very easy for certain, um, certain even moderates, but also people far on the right spectrum uh, to say, oh, this is just some small radical fringe element um, and so community and solidarity is important in showing that, no, this is, this is really a common sense perspective. We don't want murderers to be paid by our tax dollars. You know, that, that's, that's actually a fairly reasonable position to have. And so the more people that speak up and, and show up, um, the more, uh, let's say, those who don't want to believe this will, will have to eventually concede. Definitely. Uh, again, that was the voice of um, Veronica Benjamin of Conscious Contra Costa. You could check them out on social media and their Facebook. And also earlier we heard from Sebgi Fernandez of Together We Stand. You can also check out Together We Stand on Facebook. And we've been discussing the end police corruption in Contra Costa rally and speak out. That will happen tomorrow, Saturday, April 30th at 4 p.m. on the steps of the Antioch Police Department. That's 300 L Street in Antioch, California. Veronica, uh, thank you very much for speaking with us tonight and representing Conscious Contra Costa. Thank you, Franklin. Thank you for always showing up and always being the voice of the people. And Sevgi, again, um, as uh, Veronica said, you've helped out on many, many occasions, not just for me, not just for Veronica, um, but one of my greatest experiences, I felt, um, 
participating with one of your organizing was in Martinez when they defaced the Black Lives Matter mural on the street. Um, so thank you, Sebgi, for always stepping up. And I'm so sorry I kept you um, over your time, but I really, really appreciate you and all the work that you do. You and Veronica both have been an uh, inspiration to me as well. Oh, thanks, Franklin. We appreciate all that you do as well. Yes, thank you. And again, I will post all the links to tomorrow's action on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show. Again, a big thank you to Veronica Benjamin and Sebgi Fernandez. We'll be right back on Full Circle right here on KPFA. Clouds seem to follow me. Alcohol that my pop swallow bottle me. No apology. I walk with a bold on my shoulder. It's a cold war. I'm a colder soldier. Hold the same fight that made Martin Luther the king. I ain't using it for the right thing. In between lean and the fiends, hustle and the schemes. I put together pieces of a dream. I still have one. I got a dream. Right, you're listening to Full Circle right here on 94.1 FM KPFA. 
and kpfa.org. Yes, we are part of the Pacifica Radio Network. I am your host tonight, Free Will and Franklin, and that song you just heard was I Have a Dream by Common. And yes, I played that song because I'm hopeful for what might lay ahead for us out here in Antioch as with our relationship with the police. And at the same time, I do live in the real world, and I know some of these reforms people have been fighting for for decades. Um, But I will remain hopeful. And again, I will post a link to Conscious Contra Costa and Together We Stand on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show with all the information about tomorrow's rally there. So thank you, everybody. And all right, coming up next, we will speak with Trent Willis, former president of the ILWU Local 10, about the May Day March and rally that will be happening in San Francisco this Sunday, May 1st. As many of you may or may not know, every year on May 1st, people around the world mark International Workers' Day, also referred to as May Day and still called Labor Day in some countries. The day is in honor of workers' rights, celebrating unions and, accompli- and accomplishments such as the eight-hour workday. Here in the United States, we as a nation have stopped celebrating May Day and in fact naming a separate Labor Day the first Monday in September that really has nothing to do with worker rights. But as we can see coming to you from uh, with our next guest that there are still people that do celebrate International Workers Day out here in the United States and there will be there will be a march and rally coming up in San Francisco. So joining us tonight to talk about what's going on is the former most recent former president Trent Willis of the ILWU Local 10. Trent, uh, welcome to Full Circle in KPFA. Thank you. Uh, happy to be here and, and solidarity to all of your listeners. Right on. Well, thanks for joining us tonight to bring us some information and how people can get involved with this May Day celebration coming up. But first, let me just get people get to know you a little bit. Tell me about yourself a little bit and how you got involved in the the workers' rights movement and uh, the labor movement. You're former uh, president of the ILWU Local 10, which many of our listeners know has been a driving force in uh, workers' rights and in the uh, the union movement out here in California. So, yeah, Trent, what uh, got you into the labor movement? Well, I've... Um it's a long story. I don't know how much time you have, <laughs> but uh, but I can start off by um, by saying that I've been a member of the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, uh, Local 10, for 25 years now. And uh, when when I became a member, you know, I, 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 my, I'm a third generation longshoreman, by the way, uh, ILWU member. Um, my family started out on the waterfront. Uh, my, it was my great uncle. His name was A.C. Young. And then uh, uh, the next generation was my dad. Um, and his name was Adji uh, Willis Jr. Um, they've both passed on now. And then I'm the third generation uh, in my family down there. I come from a pretty uh, progressive and liberal household um, where most of my drive to uh, fight for social justice comes from. But when I became a member of the International 
uh, Longshore and Warehouse Union, uh, I was fortunate enough to then uh, be connected with some really strong, um, uh, I guess you can call them mentors uh, of mine, who kind of shaped uh, the path for that I'm eventually, uh, you know, uh, stayed on and still on now. Um, and I'm, I'm going to credit that to uh, uh, Brother Leo Robinson um, and uh, Brother Clarence Thomas and also uh, uh, Brother Henry Hammer and Hank Graham and, uh, and, and Brother Lawrence Tebow. And those were, those were four very strong uh, African-American uh, labor leaders uh, back when I was uh, young in my 20s that I had the great opportunity to learn from and to, to be influenced by. And I, and I learned how important it was uh, to, to stand up for workers' rights and to uh, uh, always work toward uh, organizing uh, the working man and woman uh, to always advocate for better lives for working people. And, uh, and I'm still going strong. Um, I, I understand that uh, the only way that uh, working people will be recognized and heard is when we band together and speak in one voice. And you know, the, the IOWU's motto has always been an injury to one uh, is an injury to all. And, and that's so true, uh, especially as you can see in these current times where uh, working people are struggling all across this country just to survive. Um, you know, we can we can go through each item, but uh, the only thing I have to do is mention something like the gas prices. And you can see how that uh, dramatically affects working people uh, and poor and disadvantaged people. And uh, somebody has to put the fight forth uh, to to make sure that 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 those people are heard and that those people are organized in a way where we can effectively make change um, and and. The only way to compete with uh, the billionaires and the corporations' money is uh, through the through our labor. Um, we we actually make those 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 people rich. We make those corporations money, and we deserve respect and we deserve decent pay, and decent working conditions uh, for that service that we give those those billionaires and corporations. And unfortunately, in this country, in this capitalist system, um, it's too often times where that respect, um, that safety, and and uh, um, you know those those working conditions that we need to work under uh, is, is just completely not there. Uh, where where the average uh, woman and man in this country can't even afford, you know, to provide shelter, clothing, and and medical care you know, for their for their offspring and their families. Well, and one of the big uh, fights right now with the longshoremen is the new uh, the proposed new stadium that the A's want to build at Howard Terminal. And it's kind of pitting the the workers, um, the working man and woman against not only the billionaire sporting owners and the the major league baseball but even the fans um oakland has basically lost their other sports franchises the raiders have moved on to las vegas after kind of some weak negotiating around the coliseum also 
the Golden State Warriors have moved over to San Francisco. There's a lot of pressure right now on the A's and Major League Baseball to build that waterfront stadium right there in the heart of the the port. Now, tell us why the ILWU thinks this is a bad idea because I know some of the stuff that's been put out is, you know, they're going to wipe out um, an area to build like basically a high-end playground and it's going to come at the cost of some union jobs that actually pay a living wage where people can actually survive and live in California and the Bay Area with an especially high rent. So what is the Longshoreman's position and what's going on um, there at Howard Terminal with the stadium? Well, uh, and I, and I'll try to I'll try to condense this into, um, I guess, the briefest statement I can possibly make because I know that that time is 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 short. <laughs> However, um, the main reason why the 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 stadium is a bad idea for specifically the ILWU and the longshore workers is because it would take land um, that is being used at this time for industrial use, which is good union paying jobs. And it, and it would turn this land over to uh, a billionaire for, for his playground. Now, I, I guess the simplest way I can explain it and just give, give you one example here. I know that your audience have been has been hearing about the the supply chain congestion and how it is very difficult to to uh, uh, receive and and uh, and also dis, uh, excuse uh, ship cargo uh, in and out of the port of Oakland as well as other ports up and down the west coast and how ships are backed up uh, and waiting out in the estuaries to be serviced. Um, that that is directly due to uh, lack of detail paid to the infrastructure of the port and monies being invested uh, into the port over the years, um, and also um, uh, due to uh, an erosion within the supply chain, meaning good union jobs uh, in the supply chain being eliminated for uh, lower paying jobs. So we're, we're, we're talking about the Howard Terminal, which you're hearing uh, false rumors right now about how Howard Terminal is not being used and that it's just an empty parking lot, uh, uh, empty vacant land that's not being used. So, so therefore, uh, uh, some of the proponents for the stadium are making that case to put a stadium there. And that's just absolutely untrue. As we speak right now, as I'm talking to you, there is a training center there for uh, ILWU members to learn how to operate the heavy machinery um, that's, that's necessary to, to offload and load the, the cargo uh, that's so badly needed in this area. Um, also, uh, the, there's a company that's, that's running a satellite yard there right now, a company called PCMC, where uh, uh, cargo, uh, inbound cargo is being discharged off of chassis and chassis are being prepared and put back into circulation specifically to relieve the uh, cargo congestion in the port. So 
the Howard Terminal right now is being specifically used uh, to relieve the cargo congestion, which is making it possible for uh, vessels to call the Port of Oakland. And it's also making it possible for supplies to be delivered to say Walgreens, uh, Costco, and, and all of the all of the things that we buy uh, in stores um, that that we so badly need in our households are are available for us to get because of the port of Oakland. And if anything um, has taught us how important the port is, that the COVID nineteen pandemic should have showed us beyond a doubt how important it is to have a, a viable seaport uh, to receive items like toilet paper, you know, just basic items like toothpaste and, and, and household needs and things that, that we need to, to literally have a quality of life. Um, they come through that port. So we don't have the, the, the extra or excess port land to uh, basically give away to a billionaire so he can build a playground there. Um, when it's so badly needed for for uh, uh, shipping uh, purposes, um, so so that's basically why the ILWU um, is opposed to uh, the Howard Terminal being used. Also, um, your your listeners might not know that there are not just plans to build uh, a stadium there. There are also plans to build. Uh, high-priced multi-million dollar condominiums right next to the ballpark, um, which will will pose another uh, problem for the port because then you'll have people paying uh, multi-millions of dollars for these condos living right next to the port. And we all know that people who pay millions of dollars for their for their shelter, are, are going to start complaining about the noise and the pollution um, and, the, and the things that go along with 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 an industrial area. And soon um, we'll be seeing that uh, that our jobs will be threatened um, because of this. Um, we we can see this coming down the road and, and we're we're trying to uh, convince uh, our our public elected officials and our our uh, our labor leaders that this is not the road to go down you, you can literally destroy where the uh, ilw works okay and this is this is all connected um and, you know I'll, I'll let you chime in here but this is this is connected also to the recent proposals to close schools uh in oakland um in in favor of charter schools which is which is basically privatizing the public school system. So you have a you have a run on public resources uh, by corporations and billionaires. And then you have those who are in elected positions who are assisting uh, these billionaires and corporations by giving them access to public resources that are so badly needed by the, the poor and disadvantaged uh, communities uh, where we live. Definitely. And we didn't mention that um, who you are listening to is the voice of Trent Willis, the uh, most recent former president of the ILWU Local 10 Longshoremen's Union. And he's also a member of SLAP, which is, can you remind me what SLAP stands for? Okay. SLAP stands for Schools and Labor 
against privatization. And, you know, we have a website that your listeners can can uh, log on to. It's called uh, slapbayarea.org. And, and it'll it'll tell you all about what we're here to protest against. And, and it's also uh, a way to to join us, you know, if you feel compelled to fight against gentrification and privatization. Uh, we have an organization where, where we're organizing workers in the community uh, in our own name, uh, independent from the Democrats and Republicans, so that we can start uh, pressuring our, our, our uh, elected, local elected officials, and even uh, organize to the point where we'll be running uh, uh, candidates in, in elections, both in, in union and uh, public elections. Yes, and um, as we speak, um, SLAP and their allies, the Longshoremen and the Teachers Union, are probably about wrapping up their mobilization that they've had um, downtown today, which is um, the kind of the kickoff event of Labor Day, um, which we'll get to next. But they've been at Oscar Grant Plaza throughout the day, had a march and rally, and then also have been out at the port with the Longshoremen. And so people have missed their opportunity to participate in that action. Um, But one of the reasons I got you on here, Trent Willis, is to talk about an upcoming action that they will be able to be a part of. And that's coming up on this May Day, May 1st on Sunday out in San Francisco. Tell our listeners what's happening um, this Sunday, how they can stand in solidarity with the teachers and the longshoremen and, um, you know, where it's happening and when to be there. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so basically, like you said, uh, slap, the slap organization was created, uh, by the, the, uh, international longshore and warehouse union and the OEA rank and file, um, you know, to oppose privatization. Um, and before I explain about May Day, I want your listeners to understand that the billionaire that we're talking about, uh, we're talking about the Fisher family. The Fisher family is the owner of the Oakland A's. And the Fisher family is also the owner of KIPP, which is the charter school uh, organization that is looking to come into Oakland and take over uh, the, the schools that are being closed. You know, so so it's literally a, a, a large land grab in disguise. That's important for your, your your listeners to understand because that's gentrification, and that's also the rich having access to public resources that are needed for uh, poor uh, and disadvantaged communities. And you know, the black and brown community is always disproportionately affected by these decisions. You know, so so this is why that organization was was formed. And uh, getting to May Day on May Day. Um, the all of the Bay Area labor councils uh, have joined forces to uh, have a rally and march uh, commemorating the General Strike March um, in 1934, which was led by the the Longshoremen's Union, um, as as you may know uh, already. And this is this is the second year uh, that uh, uh, this event has been uh, planned. Um, the unique thing about this event is that uh, uh, the Longshoremen will be leading the, the contingent up Market Street uh, to the Civic Center. And we will also be marching with uh, sister 
Angela Davis, uh, who who will be in attendance and and will be speaking at at this event also. Um, so all all of the uh, um, the Bay Area unions uh, will be out in force uh, to show our solidarity uh, for working people that day, and uh, you know we'll be marching together and and demonstrating. Can you uh, tell our listeners what time and where it kicks off and where it ends up? Well, ironically, um, it, it kicks off uh, right on Embarcadero um, and across the street from Harry Bridges Plaza, uh, which Harry Bridges was our first uh, international uh, president, uh, famous labor leader um, that organized the, the International Longshore and Warehouse Union uh, starting in 1934. Um, and which we became the ILWU in, in 1937. And he was our first uh, international president uh, and, you know, famous organizer. So we'll, it'll be starting across the street from, from Harry Bridges Plaza at 10 a.m. Um, and we'll be marching up to, the, like I said, the Civic Center where, where there'll be a host of, uh, of labor leaders and speakers uh, to address the crowd. Of course, SLAP. Uh, will be there, uh, schools and labor against privatization to to uh, to voice our opinion about uh, the where we think the labor movement should should be going and 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 what what we think how we should forward um, you know as as working people. Yes, definitely how we should move forward as working people. Again, you're listening to Full Circle on KPFA. That is the voice of Trent Willis. He's the most recent uh, former president of the ILWU Local 10. He's also part of SLAP, SLAP, that's Students and Labor Against Privatization. And they will be out in San Francisco on Sunday, May 1st, 10 a.m. And they'll be marching to Civic Center. Of course, I will post a link to SLAP and all the details about where to be and when to be there on our website, kpfaapprentice.org, just after the show tonight. Well, Trent Willis, thanks for joining us tonight. Is there any last words you'd like to say um, to urge people at this time to support labor, to support the teachers, and to fight against the privatization of our public um, lands, properties? Yeah, well, well, I would like to to implore your uh, your listeners to get involved because um, what the SLAP organization is is doing is we're uniting uh, working people, uh, no matter what background you come from, no matter what religion, race, no matter what sex, uh, none of that matters. We're we're uniting under under one banner, uh, the working class, uh, to make change. Um, in the Bay Area and beyond, I want to uh, uh, let your listeners know that on April 30th um, at 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., we're going to be holding a candidates forum um, for uh, the mayor candidates for Oakland. Uh, you have the board of supervisor candidates uh, for uh, for Oakland and also the superintendent of schools. That's going to be on April 30th at uh, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, and, and to register, you would go to uh, www.slapbayarea.org, the project. 
to log on uh, to that candidates forum and, and to be able to, to uh, question the, the folks that want to be elected to office um, to make sure that they are loyal to the working man and woman and the community instead of being uh, uh, loyal to billionaires and corporations. Uh, great words and ideas to end on. Uh, Trent Willis, again, thanks for joining us tonight on Full Circle. Trent Willis is the most recent uh, former president of the ILWU Local 10, and he's that's the International Longshoreman. And he is also a member of SLAP, that's Schools and Labor Against Privatization. And I will have a link to all the information to contact and to follow these organizations on our website, kpfaapprentice.org just after the show tonight. Thanks again, Trent, for joining us tonight. Thank you very much and, and solidarity to all of your listeners. And, and I look forward to working with each and every person that, that joins us. All right. Thank you, Trent Willis. And that brings us to the end of tonight's show. Remember to check out our website, kpfaapprentice.org just after the show tonight. For all the links and information related to both the events we talked about tonight. Let me give a special shout out to our guests tonight. First off from Conscious Contra Costa, Veronica Benjamin. Also from Together We Stand, Sevgi Fernandez. And our last guest, Trent Willis from the International Longshoremen's Union and slap schools and labor against privatization. Let me also give a shout out to the Full Circle crew. Miss M is our executive producer. Joy Moore is our production consultant. And me, Freewill and Franklin, I am the technical director for this show, Full Circle. And I have also been your host tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And let me remind you that while you're out there, please protect your health and also your humanity. And stay tuned to KPFA. You know what's next. Londa Bajita. Good night, everyone.